Lots to talk about on the morning brief, so let's get at it. 621 is the time. It's 16 degrees. Sun's coming up, and Scott Reed is here to add to the sunshine. Good morning. Good morning, John. How you doing? I'm okay. You know, I agree with these two Toronto City Councillors. I can appreciate there are more important things to look after in our town, but we can multitask. When I saw these gigantic signs in the parks instructing people on how to handle their booze and what the rules are, I just thought, why do we have to create a visual blight in order to instruct people on how to do something they've already been doing for years anyway it's just ridiculous like, like i mean literally who thought these things were a good sign good idea these signs they're so gigantic and i think they literally fail at both ends right so they fail in the terms of you see like alcohol in parks da 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 it's like a simpsons episode right you know free trampoline or you know uh beer out back and so it you know for the people who are kind of like ah you know that's a little garish i'm not you know maybe we don't care about those folks but still it's just like wow get your booze here like saddle up and then you know as you say then there's this these signs are gigantic and all this detail. And I just think that's lame. I, I just, I don't understand, you know, why can't they just put up like some little sign literally with like, you know, like in all those other places, like a little emoji. I don't know. It's a guy like, you know, drinking a brown paper bag or something go, okay. You know, there's a green circle around this one. I guess we can, uh, we, we, we can caps off here, but like, it just, these signs are ridiculous and lame and surely they can come up with a better way of doing it. Well, and what amused me as well was they kind of look visually like the sign you put up when you're going to demolish a building or develop a site. And so I think a lot of people are probably thinking, what is this park about to become a condo? Okay, well, let's continue with talking about booze for a second. I know you worked on this file. Uh, Brian Lilly writing a column about how a lot of corner stores apparently won't be opting in on selling beer because of the way it's price structured. And, you know, that may very well be the case, but we knew that getting in. I mean, call this a tax grab. It dates back to what, 2015? Oh, yeah. Um, we, well, 2017, probably when I was involved in the renegotiation of, you know, the arrangement with the beer store, when we, you know, opened up 400 grocery stores for sales of beer and wine and all that. Um, and very importantly, by the way, earned like a ton of space in beer stores for craft brewers, which hadn't been guaranteed before that. But look, you know, it's a, it's a crazy thing. The perversities in this file. So first of all, we started thinking, yeah, let's, that's it. Let's demolish the beer store monopoly. Why should they have it? You know? And what we discovered once we got in there was it's almost impossible to do. Um, because if you take the beer, they have, they have created a model where basically they just break even on distribution, all the beer trucks, all that kind of stuff. And they're able to do that because they make money off beer sales. So if you blow that model up, the price of beer is going to go up because they're not distributing it. So it's interesting they talk about the possibility that the beer store would still be the mechanism through which distribution would happen. And then as you say, this embedded tax of the LCBO, all these interests are swirling around. You want to know what powerful is? Get involved with the provincial government and tangle with LCBO. <laughs> man, oh man, it's the J.R. Ewing, right? It's a, it's the Yellowstone of provincial government. The LCBO <laughs> is powerful. And as you're taking stuff away from these guys, 
um, they're like, no, 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 no. We must maintain our cut. You're going to reduce our volume of sales. They're going to go into grocery stores. We got to find a way to steep. Don't be harming us as a commercial entity, a quasi commercial entity. They regard themselves as a commercial entity. And so you get these trade-offs. So we'll see where premier Ford ends up, but you know, for people to go just with a wave of the pen, get rid of the beer store, get rid of the beer monopoly, put it all in beer and corn, uh, in convenience stores and corner stores. It ain't that easy. And I would be very surprised if premier Ford's able to, um, able to deliver on the, on the promise of, uh, you know, buck a beer on every corner. Like he's, uh, like he's pledged. Yeah. But well, sorry, I should add, Brian is right. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's a defense for this tax other than it was part of LCBO saying, but well, we want a little bit of ours too. If you're going to take from us and you got to give a little bit to us. What is it? The, uh, the ward boss says in Godfather two, just a little to wet my beak. Okay. Just a little to wet my beak. Yep. Uh, what do you make of this profile of uh, crystal meth and Toronto's ongoing issues with it? It, for me, it explains so much about what I see day to day in terms of the disorder on our streets. I think that's right. And I have an inexpert eye. So maybe I'm, you know, misunderstanding and I'm, I'm reading articles like this and hearing stories like this. And then I see that um, based on what I'm looking at, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I agree with you on that front. I also, you know, I fear uh, the ability of something like this to rip through streets. Whenever, you know, a really powerful new narcotic seems to be introduced into a community, my God, I sound like an old lady with blue hair standing up at a library meeting. Right. But like when you, when you, experience it, it can be very destabilizing. And, you know, crystal meth seems to me to be just an absolute battering ram on communities and on people and on families. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, druggies, you know, it's limited to druggies. No, it isn't. You know, this stuff rips through families of every socioeconomic scale, but then it creates all sorts of brutal socioeconomic impacts. And so, we don't really know the answer of how to how to treat this, how to manage this. You know, people talk about harm reduction programs and, you know, you get Pierre Polyev saying, you know, oh, you're just handing out drugs to to druggies. Set aside that political argument. Those harm reduction programs are intense, <clears throat> like they're they're labor intensive, they're cost intensive, like it's hard to implement these things. So there aren't any easy solutions. I got news for you. There are no difficult solutions. And so you really want to worry about, you know, something like crystal meth starting to rip through in any sizable fashion into your community because um, it can uh, it, it, it can be difficult to dislodge and super expensive. And we already have a two billion dollar a year deficit. So when you think about all the trade offs. Right. And we think about all the problems, you know, that bubbles over into violence and acts of craziness, which appear craziness with people with mental health problems on the TTC. It bubbles over into what we encounter in our downtown streets, bubbles over into the crisis in uh, overflowing uh, homeless shelters, which, by the way, feel unsafe for many. And so many folks say they don't even want to use them. And so they are all the more stranded on streets. Uh, You know, these there's. These things overlap, inter- uh, reinforce, and worsen one another. And then we have a Waterloo Region mayor of a small town. I think we're talking about 2,200 people here. She says she can't afford on $90,000 a year salary, she cannot afford to buy a house in her town. And then I took a look, and you know the, the houses that sold in the last month or so, the average price was like just over $900,000. So maybe she's right. 
I'm sure she is right. And, you know, so, you know, people can shrug their shoulders and go, well, you know, like, well, cry me a river. She's almost making a hundred grand a year. It's like, yeah, yeah. But, you know, here's the reality. Uh, When I was 26 years old with a loan that I repaid in one year of $10,000 for my then father-in-law, my ex-wife and I were able to buy a home, our first home at the age of 26. Um, and, uh, just so people know, in case they're like rolling their eyes, I didn't come like single, you know, uh, a single mom factory worker. Like I wasn't born in wealth. My mom didn't, uh, you know, give me 50 grand to buy it. Zero. Like I say, $10,000 loan that by, you know, rubbing pennies together, we repaid within one year. That was it. And, uh, that's partly because there was a home in the community in which I lived, uh, that was priced at a level that you could actually manage. Uh, I think it was $210,000 first home I bought 205 grand. I think it was. And, um, you know, that's just not available. My 25 year old son was lamenting to me the other day. He hates living in a condo, hates living in a condo, but he's got no option. It is the only affordable as unaffordable as it is the only affordable option. And the only plan to purchase a home for someone his age is that I die. And as you might guess, that's not my preferred policy option. Okay. Thank you. I hope you'll be with us for a good long time. That's Scott Reed, CDV political analyst.